I want to get right to it. We've been talking through the book of 1 John, this letter written to uh, a community of churches that it seems that John, as their pastor, was overseeing. He probably wasn't in the church every Sunday or Saturday or whenever they were gathering together, but he uh, pastored them and shepherded them and, and cared for them deeply. He had entered a time where they probably had dealt with a lot of confusion and uh, misunderstanding, especially of who Jesus uh, was and is. And I don't think that it's probably too much different today, 2,000 years later. There's still a lot of confusion and misunderstanding at times about Jesus. And different religions and philosophies and ideas of the day present a different Jesus to us. And it can be very confusing at times by what you watch, by what you hear, by what you experience. And so I think today in our culture there is, um, like then, uh, a lot of, again, misunderstanding, confusion about Christ. So it can, it's, it can swing from one into the other, this idea that Jesus was just a man. Uh, well, I guess the one extreme would be he didn't exist at all. Um, the other would be that he was just a man, a good teacher, so he did have some great moral things to teach us, some great insight, but he was one of, uh, even then, thousands probably of messiahs and, and claimed claim, you know, saviors and, and good teachers, and no different today. There's even more, right? There's a lot of great teaching out there. There's a lot of great self-help books and great stuff to read that is great stuff too. There's nothing necessarily wrong with it, um, but people then and even today can claim, well, Jesus is just one of those. Um, then the other, the other pendulum swing would have been that he was not man at all, that Jesus was just some spirit, something mystical out there. And so the people then were dealing with those kinds of ideas and thoughts and things. And I don't know that it's much different today. Maybe the way it's presented in culture is a little different, but there is still that same idea that's presented to us. And for people into the church, and I, when I say the church, just the whole, the big, it can be a lot of times confusing because a lot of things that are presented can sound really good. Have you ever talked to somebody and like they present something one way and like it makes sense, it sounds good, like you're, you're convinced, done. And then all of a sudden, someone over here, you could watch, experience, read, see some video, whatever, of something completely the opposite, it's presented, and then all of a sudden you go, well, that, that's no good. This is good. This sounds good. Have you ever had that experience in anything at all? I mean, it could be as simple as, you know, even at times, the, something you're buying, right? The kind of car you buy. The, I saw somebody bought a car this, this week on Facebook. Congratulations um, for the payment that you got. You know, it's awesome. Or, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like someone over here tells you how great that car is, right? And the next minute way over here or a restaurant. I mean, there's a lot of things that, that could be presented to you. Now, I've taught this, this idea before, and it's not something new to us. It's just um, a repetitive thing that I have, will, and will continue to say in some form, and it's this that your image of Jesus, 
will determine the perception you have of yourself, of others, of the church, and of God. What you think, what you believe about Jesus is going to determine how you see what you think about everything else. It dictates how you move forward, your mobility, your uh, perception of things. So how I see Jesus determines how I see myself. So we'll even say today, I see myself as a child of God. Pastor John, in this letter, 1 John, he'll use the word beloved. So if I believe a certain thing about Jesus, and that's what he says about me, that he loves me that way, that I am his child, that I am his beloved, that changes then how I look, like how I look at me. Like I see myself differently. Because a lot of people have an identity problem, don't they? Many of us in this room whether we are at the moment, struggle with our identity. We look at ourselves through the lens of how others see us. So they say something about me like this morning, like, Ron, you look like you've gained a little bit of weight. <laughs> well, suddenly I leave or my, I may be distracted up here because I'm wondering how you all now see me. I mean, there's a lot of those kinds of things. It's the sad thing about church. Some of you might have dealt with that already. Just simply what somebody said to you has changed the perception of you. Now, it even goes deeper because it changes the perception that I have of you as well. What I think about Jesus determines what I think and feel about you. How I love you, care for you, treat you. It, it does the same with the church as a whole, right? How I see other churches as well. So that if God says in his word multiple times, this is God's kingdom, it's God's church, and how we look at everybody is supposed to be this way, then that's how I look at it, unless I believe something completely different. How and what I believe about Jesus determines how I look at the lost, the people that don't believe in Jesus. It makes a big difference. How I see then God himself. So the perception or the image I have of Jesus will determine the perception or image of how I see myself, others of the church, and of God. Over the past four weeks, we have taken a look at some of the things that determine how we see, how we you know, move, how we um, treat other people as well. And we've looked at that through the lens often of Jesus. We talked about in the very beginning, and I'll read our little kind of scripture that kind of dictates what we believe about Jesus a little bit or get us thinking about that. We have said that there is sin. If you're a follower of Christ and you believe Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior who took care of our sin, right? Because we are sinners, we needed a savior. That determines then what I think about sin. So see, what I believe about Jesus determines what I believe about sin, which then we said has to do with confession. 
Because 2,000 years ago, one of the problems they had is people had come into the church, drawn people out of the church because they said Jesus was just a good man. It's no big deal. There's nothing important about him. He just had some good teachings. So that determined how they saw sin. So suddenly, sin's not that big of a deal. I can do whatever I want. It doesn't matter. Well, if I got a Jesus problem, I got a sin problem, which means why do I even need to confess? There is no reason to confess sin because I don't believe in sin. Why? Because I don't even believe in Jesus. I mean, it's all intertwined and connected. See how that determines then how I act. And so it's like a very important thing. And John writes to his people and go, what are you doing, man? What, what is going on here? We're sinners. We need saving. You need to confess. We talked about obedience. Obedience is just not something we just do just because. We have to have the right perspective of obedience. And again, we, we looked at it through the lens of Jesus. We did that with righteousness. Scott talked about righteousness a couple weeks ago. And again, we look at it through the lens of Jesus, his life, what he said. And Brent talked to us about love last week, that this determines what I believe about Jesus, how I love one another. And that is maybe the most prominent thing in the book. So if you want to know how to love the world, then you need to look at the life of Jesus. And it changes everything. It really does. It changes the way that we operate in life and who we are to love and how we are to love them. Does it create conflict? Yes. It has a lot to do with forgiveness and unconditional type love and all these beautiful things. Brent brought it out last week. See, my perception of Jesus determines, if I put it specifically that, who and how I love. And so John brings something out in chapter one. I want to go back to it. This is chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 in 1 John. Now, we set the stage for this and say this. John is the writer of the Gospel of John. There are four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that talk about the life of Jesus from birth to resurrection. And they will give tons of stories and teaching all about Christ. John wrote, this John that wrote the letter is the same John that wrote one of those books and the title of the book was John. That's pretty easy, huh? And so he writes this book. At the end of the book, he says, there is so much more to say, but I don't have space here to say it. It's massive. You would be blown away and amazed if I told you everything. Now, here's the key that I experienced. So when we read things from John, especially concerning Jesus, you must understand, if you want to believe the Bible, that John is not saying like, hey, I heard it from a dude who heard it from his sister's cousin who said that Jesus maybe did this. That's not what we're getting. We are getting someone who firsthand was with Jesus. So 
Look at what he says to establish this letter. Because he's a shepherd concerned about his people that he loves like we are about you. And he has seen them being picked apart in the church from those that are coming in and saying, Jesus is just a man. He's nothing. Ah, he was some weird mysterious spirit thing going on. You don't need to worry about sin. Obedience, why? You don't need to worry about all this stuff. It means nothing. And, and, and Pastor John's like, no, what, what are you doing? Look at what he says right off the bat in this letter. Now imagine you're hearing this like those people then. He says these words, we proclaim to you. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. When he writes, he's like, I have heard him Listen to him. I've seen him. We saw him. He says, he repeats it with our own eyes. And I touched him with my own hands. This John is saying, listen, I don't know why you're abandoning the faith. I don't know why you're listening to people say that he was not real. I was there. I was there, John says in these words, because he's probably talked to this, you know, to the teachers many times. I was there. When he raised that little girl from the dead, that girl was dead. She, she was alive. I didn't hear the story. No one told me about it. I was there. I was there when the leper ran up. And Jesus was not supposed to touch him, but he did anyways. And I was there and saw with my own hands, my own ears, my own eyes. I experienced him being healed. I was there when he stood up for the prostitute, stood in the gap for her, would not let her get stoned by the religious people, and he saved her. I was there when he called other fishermen out. I was there when people's lives were transformed. I ate with him. I touched him. I hugged him. John says in these words, listen, why are you listening to people that are talk talking about things that they know nothing about? I was there. You know, John was even one of like the inner circle. Jesus goes up on a mountain one time and he takes just a few guys. John is one of them. And they go up on the mountain and they see this incredible thing. Jesus talking with Moses and Elijah, some crazy experiences. You, you can't even describe, really, what that was like. And he's like, I, I was there. It's not something I heard about. Why are you abandoning Jesus? I touched him. I experienced him. This is the one whose life itself was revealed to us. And we, we have seen him. He is the word of life. I saw him give new life to people over and over and over again. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you that we ourselves have actually, he repeats it again, seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. So one of the things that happens when we have a bad picture, perception of Jesus, it dictates how I feel, what I do, how I experience love, sin, confession, obedience, it impacts my confidence and my assurance, and it destroys joy. When you have a wrong perspective of Jesus, 
it can destroy your joy. Even sin and confession can be a whole different thing. Joy is destroyed. And John is writing, why have you let people do this? Why have you let people distract you, confuse you? Why are you abandoning the very things that I have shared with you for years that I experienced myself? And so John begins to write this letter to these people that he loves because he cares about them. And he desperately wants them to come home. So in it all, our foundation for everything that we have been looking at, will look at, and where we're going as a church community, our foundation is found in Jesus. If you want to know God, get to know Jesus. Do you want to know how to love or forgive or live, or serve, get to know Jesus. I know there's a lot of things, a lot of questions, even this morning, some of the things that we mentioned will create in you other questions. We can talk about that. But man, if there's a priority right now, get to know Jesus. Are you lacking in faith, struggling with doubt? It's okay. Go back to Jesus. Begin there. Reread the Gospels. You want to jump on something and go, I just need to maybe read some things. Start in the book of John and go to verse 1 and begin to read. Our foundation is found in Jesus. So I want to read to you chapter 5. Look at what he says in these first 12 verses. I don't want to spend all of our time there. But look at what he says in these 12 verses concerning Jesus kind of pinpoint maybe some things that come up for you or maybe some key words or phrases before we get into what we want to talk about today concerning prayer. But look at what he says here. Everyone who believes, he's wrapping up the letter, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. There's identity there. You believe in Jesus, you're a child of God. See how it dictates now how I feel about myself. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. There's that love part we talked about. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. That even determines what I feel about God's commandments, what I feel about Jesus, determines how I feel about the commandments, about obedience. And John says it's not burdensome. You want to know how to obey God? Let me just say, go back to what Jesus says about obeying God. John says some of that's become burdensome to you. Why? Because you have a wrong perspective, wrong thinking. We've been talking about that. We did just a few weeks ago concerning obedience. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. There it is again. It's our foundation. John is repeating over and over again in different words, different phrases. Jesus is our foundation. And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's Son by his... Now there's, he's going to give some testimony, some kind of proof. There's a lot behind it. We're not getting into it today. But he says this. Here's some testimony, some proof. Here's some witnesses 
of who Jesus is. And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's son by his baptism in water and by the shedding of his blood on the cross. There's his humanity and deity in there, what he's done, who he is, not by water only, but by water and blood. And the spirit who is truth confirms it with his testimony. So now he gives three little bits of testimony to this is Jesus. That whole baptism scene, you had the Holy Spirit there, God the Father speaking, speaking over him. You had that whole experience. You have the cross and you have the spirit of God testifying to it as well. You could even mention the resurrection. And look at what he says. So we have these three witnesses, the spirit, the water, the blood, and all three agree. Since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. So even God the Father says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. There's a fourth part of that. And God has testified about his son. All who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Okay, listen, there's another one right in this room right now. Not everybody. Wherever you're at, I'm thrilled you're here. Please don't run away. Some of this is strong language of a pastor saying, Christ is our foundation, and there's some strong language in here. Don't run from it. Lean into it. Okay, even if it scares you a little bit, or you don't have the answers, or you're wondering what it looks like for you, lean into that a little bit. Don't run away. I love you. We're glad you're here. But listen, in this room, some of you, your life, because of the way you live, your faith, your love, the way you serve, what you decided at some moment in your life, maybe verbally in front of people, by baptism in front of a community of people, your life is a testimony to the transformational work of Jesus. So now there's another testimony. How do I know Christ is real? Because of some of you. The way you live. Even if you blow it. You're the kind of people that come and say, like John was instructing, I'm sorry, forgive me, I've sinned, I need Jesus. Some of you have actual testimonies. I once was lost, as the song says, and now I'm found. And John the pastor is saying, hey, listen, there's a testimony that's out there. Multiple witnesses can testify. There is the whole experience of the baptism where the Trinity shows up. There's the whole, you know, atonement Brent brought up from the cross. We've been saved. Christ died for us. There's the resurrection that the Spirit testifies to and brought Jesus back to life. There's God the Father speaking over his son and saying, it's him. This is your savior. And then there's the testimony of changed lives. That someone can disagree or not believe, but man, your faith, the way you have decided to live, shows the world that something bigger is going on. Something greater is happening. 
And again, the way you love and forgive and treat others, it's a testimony to the greatness of God. Those who don't believe, he has strong language. He says, those who don't believe are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about his son. I mean, that makes sense, right? Well, God's a liar. I don't even know. Maybe they don't even believe in God, but they just don't believe it. And this is what God has testified. He's given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Again, Jesus is our foundation. The perception I have of him changes everything. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. It's not just physical life, right? We know it's something much deeper and grander and greater. John is expressing to his people that he loves and cares for. Our foundation is Jesus. It changes everything. The perception you have of him is going to determine how you look at yourself, how you look at others, how you look at the church, how you look at God the Father. And it's going to determine how you move forward concerning these things. It's going, to, it's going to cause you to, in this case, when he brings it up, pray with confidence or not pray at all. It determines how I approach God. Even we, we won't be looking at it anytime soon, but the book of Hebrews is phenomenal when it comes to this. And in Hebrews 4, it says, Jesus understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, where we will receive mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So if I believe that Jesus understands what I go through, it, it changes the way I approach him. Now I approach someone who knows me. I can have confidence that he will hear me and respond. So it really impacts how we live. And today I want to see what John says. It determines how we pray. And he's going to wrap up this letter to these people that he loves. And number one, he wants them to know that they can pray with confidence. Look at what John says in verses 13 through 15 in this letter here. He says, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. That's really powerful. And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. So there's a little conditional aspect to it, right? When I go to him in prayer, I go with confidence, and I know that he hears me because I'm asking for things that please him. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. So John says, listen, when you go in prayer, you are talking to someone that you know you can go to in confidence. And that's a big deal for me when I trust someone. 
over 22 times at least, depending on the translation, this little idea is going to come up throughout this letter, and it's we know, we know, we know, we know. He's going to repeat it over and over again. We know with confidence that God hears us. Because we wonder that sometimes. Does he hear me? That knowing has to do with assurance, which leads to confidence, which builds my trust in God. So when I go to someone, I want to trust them. That when they hear me, they're actually going to respond in some way. And John is telling his people, listen, these folks have come into the congregation. Some of them have pulled you out. You're lacking confidence now in even going to Christ at all. Some of you don't go to him because you don't trust him or you don't believe who he is. But I want to tell you that you can have confidence. The deeper meaning to it is a boldness. We just saw that in Hebrews. And here's what I really love. You know what it means um, in the Hebrew and Greek? It, it's a freedom of speech. All right. So if I believe that Jesus, who he says he is, and that you say he is that, that God the Father says that he's my Savior, that others in the church, whatever, if I believe all this and I can go to him in confidence, then I believe in trust and I know that I have the freedom of speech to tell him anything that I need to and he will hear me. So, for some of you, that's going to mean sharing with him really where you're at in your life. Some of you may be expressing doubt or anger or hurt. We're going to launch for uh, a chunk of Lent. Uh, we'll talk about that briefly in a minute, but um, into the book of Lamentations. Some of you are like, I didn't even know that book existed in the Bible. <laughs> and it's rare to hear anybody teach on it. Why? Because it is super depressing. I'm probably scaring you from even coming to church now. I'm just going to just tell me when you're doing right. I'm skipping. It is five chapters with just one little glimpse of the greatness of God. And it is um, sad. It's filled with a broken heart and suffering and pain and struggle and sadness. And it ends abruptly with that. It's like Job or some of the Psalms when they just go, God, where are you? Why have you abandoned me? So here's what I want you to know. Some of that is how you feel right now. And we'll learn then, but I'm going to tell you now, you can go to God with that. If I believe Jesus is who he says he is, who others have said he is, who the Father says he is, who the Spirit testifies to who he is, if I believe that, then the Bible tells me and John tells his people, you can go to him with confidence. You can tell him whatever you need to and he will hear you. He will respond to you. And so one of the things that had been stolen from the people 
was confidence in their relationship. It was shaky now. So now they don't even believe that they can go to a God who maybe even exists, but even tell him how they really feel because they're in fear of what he might do. I know one of the things that I have struggled with in the past that I have been working on is that confidence with others. When I question the love and care for me, I hold back in the truth of what I need to say. And now relationship is broken. John had been watching his people struggle with that. Relationships within the church were destroyed. People had abandoned one another and they had abandoned God. Because they were not confident that he was listening to them or cared. And they wouldn't go to him with their requests. And they weren't sure if he would answer. And John is hurt that his people feel that way. And so he comes in and says, you can pray with confidence. He said earlier in the letter, we looked at it in chapter 3, he said, dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. And we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. And then he said right there in chapter 5, we ask anything according to his will and he will do it. We can know, have confidence that God answers prayer. So here's what we've learned and here's what he's saying here. When we obey, when we do what pleases him, when we ask anything according to his will. So that's key. So see, here's what I want to do. I want to come to God and I want to feel confident that he's going to hear me in the truth of my heart. I want him to respond to me, but I'm not sure about his will. I'm trying to obey, learn what pleases him. So what I'm learning is now it's a battle of my will in here. If I have confidence to go to him, now what do I do according to his will? Well, Stephen Smalley said this, prayer is not a battle, but a response. Its power consists in lifting our wills to God, not in trying to bring his will down to us. So my confidence in him is because I know he hears me. I can be honest with him with my request where I'm at. But one of the things that God is doing is trying to adjust my will to his. It's not me just going to him, requesting from him. And then when I don't get what I want, I get mad at him. I think that's what I do, or at least have done a lot in the past. So he's trying to adapt and change my will. Prayer is designed to change me. When I pray for God's will, I'm not so much trying to discover his will. I'm desiring his will. So I want to adjust my will to match his. God may reveal his will to us in prayer, but my biggest struggle is making his will my will. And so I want to be able to go to him with confidence that comes from relationship and knowing knowing that he will hear me no matter what I have to say. Jesus is an example of this, where his will adapts, adjusts, is conformed to the Father's. In Luke 22, 42, right before he goes to the cross, he says, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want what? Your will not my own. 
Okay, so look at what he does. I love this because he goes before the Father with confidence and he shares the truth of what he's feeling. Father, take this cup from me. Stop there for a minute. I think there's a lot of times when we try to push that aside, don't recognize it, pretend we're someone else, something else, or we're not supposed to feel that way. But here is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, coming and saying, Father, if you can, if you want, if you will, take this from me. It's hard, it hurts, it's painful. His humanity comes out that understands. Again, I can go with confidence because he understands my weaknesses. He wants you to come to him, but he says, not my will, but yours be done. Today, maybe some of you need to come with confidence to the Lord in prayer, but it starts with the truth of where you're at. When I heard that Lexi's cancer had come back, I was not happy about it. I don't understand it, nor do I like it. She's my age. I sat with her in her home last week and I'm reminded this woman is the same age as me. She has decided that there will be no more treatments, that whatever God does next is his decision. But I don't like that. It bothers me. It hurts. I have a broken heart for the kids, the grandkids, for Larry. So, as a follower of Christ, I can decide to fake it, use a bunch of Christian cliches to you, and then do the same with God. Because he don't know, really, except what I tell him, right? <laughs> or, and there's still a mystery to this, I understand. I can go to him and say, God, and I did this. A lot of times it's in the truck by myself. You know, if you see me, somebody saw me the other day talking. It's probably what I was doing. One of the many times where I'm like, God, I, I don't like this. I'm a little hurt. And we're a bunch of Christian folks that have been praying for healing. Come on, man. And then if I don't, if I'm not honest with them, then I start trying to claim who does and does not deserve certain things. Like I can tell them, like, you know, she doesn't deserve this. There's a lot of other people that do. Or whatever, you know, you begin to do. So for me, there's a learning now that God seems to say, and John is, is saying, go to Christ with confidence that he hears you. Allow him to work in those areas that are dark 
and ugly. He's all right with that. It's when we try to fake it that now we don't have a right perception of who God is. And I love that because I see that even in the life of Christ. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. In prayer, John is reminding us, and we learn other places, to develop a listening ear, to hear, to wrestle honestly with what God is saying and what he seems to be wanting us to do. So one of the things I'm learning in prayer, too, is to listen to what God is saying or what I think he's saying, and sometimes to wrestle honestly with it. I think there's a wrestling with him sometimes. <laughs> like, God, you and I, he's always going to win. But for some reason, I feel I need to duke it out with God a little bit. And part of that is even allowing him to change me and work on me and open up the truth of who he is and who I am. Even just to throw it out there before we move on, but uh, what about unanswered prayer? I don't think we can always comprehend all his ways and his timing and his process and his best. And sometimes even my sinfulness gets in the way of seeing his will. But there is an element of confidence and trust when I have this belief in who he is. And that's where John was concerned. See how it shakes your trust? Like, I can't trust God. So I don't trust in his sovereignty. He doesn't know his best. And that's what the people were saying. But John comes back and says, you can be confident in this. So when I don't know his timing, I don't get his process. I don't even know what his best is maybe sometimes. My sinfulness gets in the way. Listen, I still believe that God is sovereign. So I respond with faith and trust because I know him and I can have confidence in him. So it goes back to what do you believe about Jesus? I like what Tim Keller said, one of my favorite authors uh, it's an interesting little phrase. He said, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knows. <laughs> oh, that's a good cop-out or not, but <laughs> I like it. So one, we can pray with confidence. John wants his people to know when you go to Jesus today, you can go with confidence. Someone's shaking your confidence. Two, he says you should pray with compassion in verses 16 through 19, he said these very things. He said, if you see a fellow believer sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give that person life. And then he, he brings up a little question they were probably having. I don't want to get into this too deep today, but there's a sin that leads to death, and I'm not saying you should pray for those who commit it. And a lot of people are like, what? Now I shouldn't be praying for certain people? Is it a sin that, that leads to death? Is that the, you know, the, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and all this, this crazy stuff? We're not getting into that today. Just hold on to that, all right? Maybe about 10 years from now we'll get into it. And we'll, no, I just, <laughs> I'll give you a little thought with that in just a minute. But he says, all wicked actions are sin. 
but not every sin leads to death. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, for God's Son holds them securely. Remember, again, going back to the beginning, what you believe about Jesus then determines what you believe about sin and confession and all that. But we also can understand in confidence with God that he holds us securely so we don't have to be afraid of our salvation when we've given our life to him. There's so much there. And he says the evil one cannot touch them. We know that we are children of God, there's identity, and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. So here's what I want to teach us today just for a moment, and that is that you should pray with compassion. Pray with confidence. We go before the Father with confidence, knowing that he hears us, knowing that he's going to help us with, with his will and our will and all those great things that we just talked about. But then we need to learn to pray with compassion for others. Now, let me just mention that sin that leads to death for just a moment. I see John addressing that in the very beginning. So I look to John to interpret what he says here himself earlier on. He talked about those that don't believe in Jesus, that have been pulled away. Now their confidence is shaken and all that. So they don't believe in sin. So now there's no reason that they need Jesus to address their sin because they don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe they need to worry about sin, so there's no even need for confession. So now everything that Jesus did concerning our sin that we'll celebrate in communion just a little bit, that he gave his body for us, shed his blood for our sin, paid the price so he could be free and forgiven. They determine, remember it said many times, God's a liar, it doesn't matter, and they've abandoned all that. So, of course, you'd say, is there a sin that leads to death? Well, John said, you don't even believe in any of that. So, of course, it's going to lead to death. So, you can't get focused on that, though. You've got to look to the bigger thing that he said, because one of the things that they had abandoned when they didn't believe in Christ was they stopped praying for one another. So now... If my confidence is shaken, I don't even go to God on behalf of you. So one of the things that John, that I really want to just have us focus on for just a moment, is how are we praying for each other? For the sinner, how are we praying for them with love? Because we saw that love is all throughout the book. Remembering that we all sin. Let's see how Jesus did it. What did he do? John would have shared this story. If you remember, one of the inner circle too was Peter. John was one of them, but also Peter. Peter was one that would declare many times, I would never abandon you, like John is writing about the people. Peter kind of was confronted with that as well. And Jesus said, you're going to abandon me. You're going to deny me three times, Peter. Peter's response is, I would never do that. Man, I would never say anything bad about you. I would never deny you before other people. And Jesus says to him, and we know jumping ahead of the story, he does. But look at what Jesus says right before that happens. He says, Simon, Simon, Peter, Satan, this is in Luke 22, has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I, Jesus says this about him, I have pleaded in prayer for you Simon, your faith should not fail. And look at how he even speaks to identity. So when you have repented and turned to me again, he says, take that 
and strengthen your brothers. Look at what Jesus does when someone abandons and runs away from him. He turns around and says, Simon, I've pleaded in prayer for you. When you repent, he almost speaks life into him again. You're my kid. You're my child. You're my son. You're one of my followers. When you turn back to me, hey, Peter, use that now to honor me, to glorify me, to bring people back to me. Use it to strengthen your brothers. One of the things that John is telling his people, your confidence is shaken. Your belief about Jesus is getting destroyed. Hey, stop it. Remember what we told you about him. Have confidence when you go to him and start praying for those that are lost. A lot of what determines the strength of our Christianity, we've already learned it, is how we love one another. Jesus said that. They're going to know your Christians by the way we love. Do you have somebody in your life right now that is not following Christ? Are you praying for them? Some of them, you cannot save them. There is probably not that one little missing verse, you know, that you're going to open up, read it to them, and then they go, well, I never heard that before. I need to give my life back to Jesus. <laughs> we think there is. There's the perfect Instagram shot that you filtered so wonderfully with a scripture on it and the Christian saying, and you nailed it on there. You sent it to them, and they don't really care. But you thought maybe they're going to read that and see the beauty of it and give their life to Jesus. Now, God can do any of that. Don't get me wrong. But you know what I think the deeper thing is? It says Jesus concerning Peter, hey, Peter, he even told them, I've pleaded for you in prayer. When you come back, strengthen your brothers. It's, it's almost like he's just speaking life into that. And I wonder for each one of us, yes, of course use the scripture. Send photos, whatever you want. But please, the deeper thing is going confidently to God. Some of you for your own kids, Right? Do you have kids and they aren't following Jesus right now? You taught them, good. Hey, parents, some of you, can I just speak life into you and say, you did a good job. You did the best that you knew how. Don't beat yourself up. But you know what the scripture tells us? Don't let that discourage you. Don't blame God. Plead for them in prayer. Go before God confidently every day. Say, God, I lift them up to you. Remind them of who Jesus is. Listen, I had a grandma that did that for us. And I was a mess. I followed Jesus, didn't follow Jesus. Followed Jesus, then I didn't follow him. Then I wanted to be a pastor then I didn't want to be a pastor. I went to school, Bible school. Then I quit Bible school and lived at the beach. Then I went back to, see, I'm a mess. That's just the first, that's just my 20s. <laughs> and at the same time, it, I bet you high and low, grandmas and moms and dads and uncles and, and aunts and pleading for me in prayer. God, Ron's a mess. <laughs> what is wrong with him? 
But when he comes back, I pray he encourages. Hey, if I, see, if I believe I can go to God in confidence, then I don't give up. Because some of you are just, I think our relationships just equal because of our lack of belief in that individual. We just want to give up. I've tried. They didn't do what I wanted. I'm done. So we treat God like that. And I love what Jesus does here. I pleaded with you in prayer. I think prayer, John is telling us, is how we live out the letter. Prayer is a way, I loved this, I don't know who said it, but it's how we rehearse the gospel. When I go to God, I'm rehearsing, maybe practicing the gospel, even by the way I interact with him. God, you've forgiven me. I'm your child. Save me. I mean, there's just so many beautiful things in there that we could, we could pick through, but let me, let me wrap this up, and we can uh, do communion. And who do you need to be praying for? Right now, can we just pause just for a moment? Worship team can come up. We're going to sing a song in just a moment, have communion. While they are, who do you need to be praying for? Who comes to mind right now that you need to confidently go before the Father and begin pleading for them? Is there someone you've given up on? Do you believe that God gives up on us? Who is it right now? Is there more? Is there someone that you've just looked at so discouraging to see them living in sin, abandoning the faith? Is there someone that you need to be praying for? The last thing just to wrap up with is we pray with understanding. He wraps up these last two verses and he says in 20, 21, we know that the Son of God has come. He's given us understanding. He's given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with the Son. He's the only true God and he, he is eternal life. And then he wraps up with this weird little phrase, dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. And he's watched his people do that. He's written the whole letter and he says, a bunch of idols have taken over. Why have you let something else replace God? Understanding, when we pray with understanding, it's understanding, you know, who God is and who we are. It's our Christian identity. And I pray we stay away from anything that would steal that away. And I had a lot more to say on this, but I just want to wrap it up. We can hit it another time. But John here, it's interesting. He's not, he's not really confronting. I, I don't know that I want to say he's wor not worried about, because it is legit thinking. But, but John is not really writing about the adultery of another religion. So he doesn't seem to be worried about you know, some other religion, belief necessarily 
what he seems to be concerned about is the idolatry of fashioning one's own understanding of Jesus. Especially when it comes to things like the atonement and forgiveness and the cross and all, all these kind of things concerning sin in our life and our identity. And I think Jesus comes, gives us understanding, or at least we can find that understanding in him. If we go back to the Gospels, read about him, embrace who he is, experience, as John has taught us, who he is, what he's all about, embrace what he said about us. We can forget about all that and be deceived concerning it if we fashion our own ideas of who he is. So John's concerned with that. Is there anything that slipped into your life as a follower of Christ, if you are here today and you follow Jesus, is there anything that slipped in that has become your own understanding of who Christ is? Like just what you think based on nothing. When we go to God in prayer, we can be confident. We should go with compassion And we go with understanding because we are praying to God, not some wooden idol, piece of metal, or just a good idea. I believe when I go to Jesus, I'm going to the one who is man and God. I'm going to the one who died for my sins. I'm going to the one who rose from the grave and that can give me new life can forgive me. And so maybe even today, what is your understanding of Jesus? Would you stand with me? If you're here today too and you are confused or got questions about Christ, I'm more than happy to dialogue with you. I'm not going to claim that we're going to sit down and I'm going to answer all your questions perfectly. I might just even confuse you even more. (laughs) But I'm sure willing to journey through this with you dialogue about it. Talk about these things. Because just like John, we care for you, we love you, and are concerned about the things that steal Christ away from us, or at least can if we allow it. But right now, what I believe we shall do is go before God with confidence. When you go take a cup of juice in just a moment, from the back or the front here, I believe that I take that juice and it represents the blood of Christ that was shed for my sin. So my confidence is connected to the compassion that I feel from what he's done for me. And my confidence is, thank you, Jesus, for your, the, sh- the shedding of your blood. And I confidently come to you for the forgiveness of sin. And I confidently de- declare because of what you've done that my sin is forgiven. I'm free. I take that piece of bread and I confidently say, thank you for giving your life to me, your body. And now when I give my life back to you, I kind of take it, receive it. And now I give me back to you. I'm giving someone who's imperfect, but because of of what you've done on the cross, you declare that I am perfect, not because of what I've done, because of what you've done. And there was an old Ron, but praise God, There is a brand new run. 
And we should go with confidence and say, thank you for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, take communion on your own. They'll sing a song in just a moment. There's always prayer partners by the back there, by the the back walls. And you can go to them with confidence as well and say, will you pray for me? And the confidence back and compassion back is, yes, I will. What can I pray with you about? And we'll plead before the Father together for whatever you need. And Father, thank you for that. Thank you for this confidence that we can have, this compassion that you have for us, that we need to have for others. Help us with that. And the identity that we find in you and who you are. And those today, God, that are struggling with this or working through these things, God, be with them. However you need to speak to them and love them, God, do it that way. In Jesus' name, amen.